production. The lifeblood of your business is repeat customers. But customers can be fickle, markets change, and competitors can be ruthless. So how do you ensure a steady flow of repeat business? The secret is in finding and keeping automatic customers. It's a strangely recurring episode 563 of the 12-year-old award-winning Small Business Big Marketing Podcast. Well, I say welcome to a small business marketing show where successful small business owners share their souls to take your marketing straight to the lead. Now, here's your host, Mr. Tim Bowie. And welcome back to your weekly dose of subscription-based marketing. I'm your host, Timbo Reed, and I have an insatiable curiosity for uncovering marketing strategies and ideas that help businesses just like yours to grow. You, so much more importantly, are a motivated business owner, and you are well and truly ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. And that is exactly why this podcast exists. You, my friend, are in the right place. As per usual, team, there is marketing, G-O-L-D, dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. Quick update on the Small Business Big Marketing Tribe, which is our free Facebook group. There is so much going on. There's 1,600 motivated business owners. I've given them the opportunity to write a blog post for the Small Business Big Marketing blog. That is one of the privileges you get for being a free member of the tribe. There's a great discussion around how members are using QR codes in their business. I think we've got 36 ideas so far registered. I think I'll create a blog post out of that alone. There's a fantastic post. Someone's listed all the government grants available to Australian businesses right now uh, inside the tribe as well. So if you haven't joined, I encourage you to do so. Just go to Facebook, look up Small Business Big Marketing tribe and I will see you on the inside. You know, these days virtually anything you need can be purchased through a subscription with more convenience than ever before. Far beyond music, movies, telco and gym subscriptions, you can sign up for weekly or monthly supplies of everything from groceries to tampons to flowers to razor blades. The list goes on and on. And according to today's special guest, John Warrilow, who is the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Automatic Customer, amongst some other amazing business books. This emerging subscription economy offers huge opportunities for businesses of all sizes and industries, just like yours, that want to turn customers into subscribers. And there are some pretty solid reasons to do that. So get ready for your mind to be blown, team, as John explains the nine subscription models you can choose from, along with some great case studies that he gives. He explains the psychology behind selling a subscription model and how to avoid the dreaded customer churn. We don't want customer churn. So here's John explaining what an automatic customer is and why they're so important to a business's growth potential. Look, automatic customers are those that pay you without having to ask them to pay you. You know, most businesses are transactional, right? And you kind of have to make a sale every time. And automatic customers, the sale is automatic. So they're, they're businesses or people who buy on a subscription or some sort of recurring cadence. And they're important for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, probably one of the most misunderstood, I think, is that it helps you plan your business better and I think build a better business. I I wrote about in The Automatic Customer, a, a company called H. Bloom that does flowers on subscription. And they are a fantastic business because if you know anything about selling flowers, it's a crappy business, right? Like the, the farmer cuts the flower off the stem and it starts to die. Typical flower store will throw up most, most of its inventory every single month because they just guess how many flowers they need and they guess wrong most, most months. And so this company, H. Bloom, sets out to sell flowers on subscription and they approach hotels and they say, look, you guys want that like fresh cut flower bouquet on your reception table to give that sort of five-star image. Well, 
why don't we just auto ship them to you every two weeks? We'll get rid of the old ones. We'll bring you new ones. How's that sound? And of course it was great. H. Bloom built a company based on that sole insight. And what's interesting is they throw out less than 2% of their inventory. So there's all kinds of reasons to create automatic customers. But one of the big ones is like, it just helps you figure out how many trucks you need on the road, how many people you need serving customers, how many flowers you need to buy. And it just helps you build a much more profitable and frankly, less stressful business. Well, it's money in first. It's normally money in last, but money in first. And then, you know, you know what, as the business owner, you know what you're up against. It sounds like business nirvana, John. Why don't we see more of it? Maybe we will after this interview. Well, I hope so. I hope so. I think one of the big reasons you don't see more is that designing a subscription model is a lot tougher than than it sounds on paper. It sounds as we describe it. Because from what most people do, I think, is they try to boil the ocean. They they try to think about all their customers, right? And, And what sort of subscription model could I create for all of my customers? And in the case of H. Bloom, they did not do that. They, they didn't look at, I mean, if you look at who buys flowers, like Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, weddings, funeral. I mean, like there's lots of reasons people buy flowers. Blokes, blokes like you and I, John. Oh yeah, every week. <laughs> every week. <laughs> uh, I wish. No, um, in any event, they looked at all the different reasons people buy flowers and and what a lot of companies do, and the mistake I think they make, is they, they try to design a subscription model for everybody. And what they get is sort of a, a diluted, watered-down, crappy model trying to, to kind of create this model for everybody. What H. Bloom did is they, they looked at all the different people who buy flowers, the moms, the dads, the weddings, et cetera, and they said it's these hotels. And hotels... It's been a while since I talked to those guys, but I think hotels represented still like less than 2% of all flowers bought in the United States. So it's still a tiny slice of the market. But they had the discipline to say, no, no, we're going to develop a subscription model just for hotels. And they did that. And then they went to wealth management companies. And then they went to five-star restaurants. And they they went kind of six-digit NAICS code or uh, vertical, industry vertical at a time and built out a very compelling value proposition. And I think that would be why I don't hear as many success stories as, as you're describing is, is that I think people try to dilute their proposition too much and they'd be better served picking one buyer segment. Yeah, genius. Wow, what a great case study. That It begs the question then, is every industry open to creating a subscription model type business structure? I don't think... Or are there industries where it just doesn't work? Yeah, look, I mean, I've seen a lot and I think there is a subscription model for just about any industry. It doesn't mean that you can replace 100% of your revenue. It could be that it's just a, a subset of your revenue. I mean, I, I listened to your episode with the guy from Amazon, the, the Shadow. What a great episode, by the way. If folks haven't listened <laughs> to it, they should. It's a great. Thank you. Um, but, but Amazon has Amazon Prime, right? And it's not like they're walking away from the entire business of selling books and everything else that Amazon sells, but they've got Prime. And what Prime does is, in and of itself, it's a multi-billion dollar business, but that actually doesn't necessarily reveal the big upside that, that comes with Prime because once people subscribe to Prime, it changes their buying behavior. It means that they become much more likely to buy additional things from Amazon. And so the typical, last time I looked at it, the typical Amazon Prime subscriber spends about three times more than the average Amazon customer. So it's a huge impact. Wow. So that's one of the hidden reasons. So even if you're thinking, okay, I can't make my entire business into a subscription model, but I could create a subscription model over here and it might give me an extra 10 or 15 points of revenue. And you might be saying, well, why, you know, is is it really worth it to get just 10 or 15% more revenue? The answer may be yes. In particular, if, if you can create a model that that gives you permission to communicate with your customers on a regular cadence. It gives you their credit cards so that it makes it frictionless to buy from you again and again and again. And those are all sort of prerequisites to, to getting people to buy other things from you. And so I think even if it's just 10% of your business you can get on recurring revenue or subscription, it's worth it because of, of, this, of this change in behavior it causes for your subscribers. John, I, I love, I mean, big learning already 
I think so many of us, we all hear about these subscription models and so many of us business owners go in thinking, well, it is either a subscription model or it's not. But as you say, that's trying to boil the ocean, which is a great phrase, by the way. Mm. Haven't heard that one before. And um, the, the idea of actually carving off just a small niche of your business and, and creating a subscription model around them. And then, if it works, rolling it out into other other parts of the business. There's genius. You talk about nine subscription models, John. Now, some of them are pretty self-explanatory, but I think it'd be really worthwhile going through because it's not just one size fits all. Let's start with the membership website model and work our way down that list, if we could. Yeah, for sure. So membership website, I mean, people have all subscribed to them, I think, where you put some sort of proprietary information, some sort of custom content, and they work really well when that content gives an ROI to the consumer. Like, here's the thing. With membership websites, if it's a business-to-consumer membership website, it's like people who love traveling in Italy, for example, that's going to be a tough sell, right? People churn out of those business-to-consumer models pretty quickly. They, they, they stop subscribing. Whereas if, if you've got some proprietary information, I'll give you an example. I joined a membership website called Podcasters Paradise. So I launched the podcast. I wanted to learn everything I could about podcasting. Yeah, and I joined that too. Did you? Well, there you go. So uh, John Lee Dumas is the host, and he's put a bunch of great content in a membership website. And so that gives an ROI. It's a business to business model where people can draw a direct line to being a subscriber to having revenue. They're going to be much stickier. So if you're thinking about membership websites, I just orient you towards more business to business models because I think you're just going to get a stickier customer. Great. The all you can eat library model. This sounds like uh, what we were talking to Tina Turner about only a couple of weeks ago. Is this is this online where you, where you house your online courses? Yeah, I mean, think Netflix, right? Where you've got all kinds of content you can access at any time, and so it basically gives you a library. If you happen to have a library of content, again, Netflix is a well capitalized, massively capitalized business that can afford to develop its own program, et cetera. If you're looking to build uh, an all-you-can-eat library type model, think silo, right? Because you've, you've really got to come up with, like, I'm going to put together an all-you-can-eat library of information on uh, Taekwondo. That's something that might work because it's a finite audience and it's, a, it's an audience that you could put your hands around. Um, so I think that's another thing to think about with, with those sorts of models. So, so just playing that one out, because that's one that many, I know many listeners could potentially implement. So you've got a Taekwondo studio or a yoga studio, you're a chiropractor, whatever you do, a mechanic, you can create this membership-based model, this all-you-can-eat library model, as you call it, where, what, you house just a whole lot of how-to information, a whole lot of worksheets, a whole lot of information that you, the business owner, have created. Because obviously the information is out on the internet anyway, but as we say on this show, people buy from people. So, yeah you know, one personal brand to the other. So is, is that the kind of thing that you, you're talking about when it comes to the all-you-can-eat model? Yeah, it's, it's content that you can consume like a buffet as much as you want to or as little as you want. Yeah. And again, you've got very verticalized content, so very, very specific content that is, I mean, you think about it. Everything is the search of a Google search away, right? So you can't just provide generic content. It has to be something highly specialized, uh, highly unique, and ideally dynamic. So again, if we think about content, if we use Netflix as, as an example, they learned early that they couldn't just sit on their laurels and use a non-dynamic database of movies. They had to create their own movies. They had to buy and license the rights to new and emerging movies. And then they eventually went and built their own production studio and, and, and create their own content uh, because they need that uh, to keep that membership fresh. So again, that's one of the challenges with All You Can Eat is, the, is it becomes a beast you've got to feed, right? You've got to constantly feed that. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about customer churn later, but clearly in that model, the idea is to keep, if you've got, you know, you've got 100 videos and audios that you could potentially put into a membership model, you might start with putting 50 in there. So like it's awesome value, it looks incredible depth of knowledge, but over the course of weeks, months or years, you keep adding content and keeping people go, oh, I can't cancel my subscription. Because I guess too, cancelling the subscription that you got early means that if you want to come back, you're probably going to pay a higher price. And that's, again, how you stop customer churn. It can be. Yeah, it can be. One of the things about churn that I think is counterintuitive is that the first 30 days of your journey as a subscriber 
will determine your likelihood to stay with that subscription for the life of your subscription. If, if you have a great experience and you derive enormous value from a subscription in the first 30 days, you are going to be much more likely to stay than if you kind of have a crappy experience in the first 30 days and then have a wonderful experience thereafter. There, this window, the onboarding window, they call it in SaaS, is such a huge impact on your longevity as a subscriber. And this one can trip people up because oftentimes people want, want to say, okay, well, I've got 12 bits of content, and so I'm going to parse it out into one every you know, month for 12 months. And that makes natural sense. But what we're missing is that we've got to pack way more value in that first month. I'll give you an example outside of this content space, but I think it's germane. I did a speech a while ago for the Car Wash Association. I get the really sexy gigs. I, I got to tell you, these are guys <laughs> who cool. own car washes, right? Yeah. And car washes, I mean, I don't know what it's like in Australia. In North America, it's like, you know, it's a land grab, right? You got to be on the right corner, right? You got to be next to a gas station or amalgamated with a gas station. And folks think of it as a, you know, the location is going to drive your business. And this industry is making a transformation into subscription models. So instead of getting a car wash when you buy a tank of gas and doing it on a one-off basis. I get it. It's genius. I love it already. Right? You subscribe to all-you-can-eat car washes, right? And when I pitched this idea to this conference, there were a couple hundred car wash owners in the speech. And like a guy's hand goes up and goes, yeah, John, but you don't understand our industry. And I'm like, all right, enlighten me. And he says like, every time someone goes through that car wash, it costs a dollar in hot water and, uh, and soap. And so if we make it free for guys to come in every day, we're going to be underwater. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get people to subscribe and I want you to get them to come in every single day. I want you to get him to come in 30 times in the first month as a subscriber. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, here's the thing. If he comes in 30 times, you're underwater in the first month. But he's going to value that subscription for years into the future. And for most people, we've got better things to do than go through the car wash every day, right? Like life goes on and we go back to getting our car wash once every couple of weeks or once a month. But you've got this annuity stream of revenue coming in for multiple years. So I think that's one of the, the, the sort of secret killer hacks of creating longevity and cutting churn is, is not necessarily to pack an equal amount of value in every single month. Instead, go way overboard in your first month. Uh, and I think you'll find that, that the economics of the relationship improve dramatically. Yeah, wow, gee, there's some psychology going on in there, isn't there? So the, the, the guy who's bringing his car in 30 times in the first month just goes, this is unbelievable value, but he's not going to keep it up and the business owner knows he's not going to keep it up. I imagine also there's always going to be a small percentage of abusers within the, within the subscription model system. Sure. And, hey, you either live with them because, you know, the rest of your members are respectful and or you can identify those abusers and say, hey, listen, I think you're having a bit of a laugh. That's what we'd say in Australia. You know, you're taking the piss. Taking the piss out of me here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've heard that expression. Love it. Absolutely. But again, if we think back to, you know, it, how, how is this valuable? If you get someone to subscribe to a car wash, not only, I, I live in, in Toronto where it's snowy and crappy in March and everybody wants to get their car washed, get the salt off and the snow off. And car wash lineups are really long, but in a beautiful July day, no one's washing their car. It's beautiful. It hasn't rained in weeks. It's beautiful. Everybody's car is sparkling. You get that revenue consistently every single month, no matter whether it's rainy or beautiful sunny. So number one, it's consistency and revenue. What People need to understand, I think, about subscription models is it completely changes the dynamic of the value of their company. I'll give you an example. And this comes from, again, outside of the the car wash industry. If we look at alarm companies, you know the guys who wire up your windows and doors and, and they call the fire brigade if there's a fire. They have two forms of revenue. They've got installation revenue which is the one-off transactional revenue of installing the system, right? And then they've got the recurring or what they call monitoring revenue in the security space, right? They just 30, 40, $50 a month, monitor your home, your office, whatever. Typical acquirer today will pay about 75 cents for every dollar of installation revenue or about $3 for every dollar of monitoring revenue. Wow. 
Said another way, dollar for dollar, your recurring revenue in that case is worth like four times mm. that of your installation revenue. And again, we see that trend in virtually every industry. So if you're talking to the car wash guy and you're saying, hey, you know, you should move to subscription, and they're like, well, the revenue might be flat, right? Look, it will have a profound impact on the value of your company, not only make it more you know, interesting and predictable to run, whatever you decide down in the future you want to sell that car wash, it will be worth infinitely more. Yeah, I get it. I get it. John, the private club model, what's that about? <laughs> yeah, look, <laughs> put something behind closed doors that is that is very hard to access. So classic example would be, you know, a, a very expensive golf course. In fact, I think I wrote about, is it, is it called the Melbourne Club or Melbourne... Uh, 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 the the Royal Melbourne, the Royal Melbourne Club. Yeah, I wrote about that in the book. Uh, it, it you know something very very uh, scarce, like a membership at a very expensive golf course where there's only 365 members, and the churn is th- you know three members a year because they die. Well, that's mm. a scarce opportunity, and you could put that into a membership organization. You see it in ski clubs. Uh, you can also see it in B two B model where uh, you know there are organizations that put together uh, elite groups where there's a finite number of members. And again, the, the key distinguishing factor be, between, say, a membership model, which is kind of open to anyone, and the private club model is scarcity, right? There's a finite mm-hmm. number of people that are that are allowed to access it, and obviously scarcity breeds. John's just thinking aloud here, playing that out. So if I was a, let me think, if I was a naturopath, mm-hmm. now let's say a personal trainer. Sure. I'm a personal trainer. Um, I have clients paying me for personal training sessions. Could I then create a private club model for, you know, um, 10% of my clients where I charge a premium fee, but they get access to me as much as they want, basically, sure. within reason. Yeah, that's, that's Is what, that a kind of example of private club? It can be. And it can also be that you think about your distribution of your content. So I'll give you an example. So I'm familiar with and, and, and work with a guy named Lee Taft. Lee is a speed coach. He teaches people how to run faster. And he works one-on-one with individuals who want to improve their, their sprinting, usually athletes and so forth. But in order to provide some scale to his business, he's also licensed his approach to a private club where a group of gym owners get access to Lee's content, his methodology, his approaches, and they get access to that. There's a finite number of those, and that gives him scale, breadth to his offering. He's no longer just working one-to-one. He's now working one-to-many, but there's a finite list. It's not just anybody can become a Lee Taft licensee. It's a limited group. So, so there's an example of a personal trainer who's, who's applied it and that's actually one of the key lessons of subscription models is oftentimes people, you know, they think, oh, like, let's say you think of a roofer, right? And, and they, how would I create a subscription model as a roofer? Well, yeah, you, you might think, well, consumers or homeowners only need a roof once every 25 years, so clearly they can't have any recurring need for it. But you might ask, well, who actually hires me? Is it the homeowner? Maybe. Or is it a condo development corporation or a townhouse community that has 200 roofs a year? Or is it a general contractor who is the person who brings me in on four or five different jobs throughout the year? That GC or that condo development corporation, that can be where your subscription model is. So so although most of us are wired to think, well, who is the end consumer and what could I do for them? That's one way to design your subscription model. But other ways is to think about what's the distribution channel and are those people, people who buy on a regular cadence and can I design something for them? Let's keep going through these nine subscription models because we're only up to number four, the front of the line subscription model. John, what's that? Yeah, it's basically giving people access to your premium offering in terms of customer service. And so if you've ever subscribed to software, salesforce.com is famous for this. It basically it, it you know if with salesforce.com if you have the regular subscription and you have an issue, well you could submit a ticket and they might get back to you 4 days later, right? Whereas if you buy a service plan that allows you to jump to the front of the queue, on subscription, they will charge you on a regular cadence for their service plan, and that allows you to get a call back within one hour. 
And that's basically selling access to the front of the queue. And, and I mean, we do it at amusement parks. In, in the United States, they have uh, these HOV lanes for, they're meant for you know, cars that are more green or ecological. Well, they also sell access to those, right? So there's all kinds of different subscription models which allow you to effectively use your buying power to jump to the front of the queue. And business to consumer, it's, it's hard to make these work. But if you have a business to business offering where downtime has like a material impact, costs thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. That's the perfect model for a front of the line. So if you offer a uh, $100,000 robot that builds cars in, in car factories, and when that robot goes down, every minute that it's down, it's costing that factory tens of thousands of dollars, they will buy a front of the line subscription to get service immediately. Uh, so it's it's like what's the cost of downtime and and that correlates well to uh, a front of the line subscription model. I imagine the next one, the consumables model, sort of like the printer cartridge setup. You bet. Yeah, consumables, and we've done all this, razor, razor blades. You're looking for something that runs out. Uh, Dollar Shave Club built a billion-dollar business. They exited a billion dollars by selling razor blades, right? And Unbelievable. The trick to consumables models is, is getting people hooked on a platform, right? So the printer, printer cartridges model, HP does this with their inkjet. You, you get the printer, and then you get a subscription to the ink cartridges. And so you want to get people hooked with the platform and then you can you can bring them uh, into a subscription model on the consumables. We've had a couple of guests um, practicing this. One, uh, a lady, Mia, she has a business, Moxie, which was subscription tampon service. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And the other one was the guys from Cheese Therapy who the Australian artisan cheese industry was, you know, in trouble, floods, fires, economic turmoil, and basically they've gone to all the artisan cheesemakers around Australia and said, let's create hampers and people can buy hampers from us that includes your cheese. And, yeah, fantastic, fantastic business. And that works so well. They're picking it up and applying it to coffee oh, and, and alcohol and all these other these other models. The surprise box well, model. Well, you just described John? it, interestingly enough. I thought that's a pretty it good was, segue. It was the cheese therapy. Yeah, it's the cheese therapy. Yeah. It's like anything where you curate uh, a, a selection of items for aficionados. So, for example... Or, you know, not everybody needs a cheese basket, frankly. If you don't love cheese, you're not going to buy one. If you're on a budget, you're not going to get a cheese basket chipped to your door. But if you love cheese and you love exploring new cheese, you will subscribe to a curated, curated being the key point here, where somebody goes out and does the work to find the best cheese. I love red wine. I love coffee. Got all the bad things for you. <laughs> I love dark chocolate. These are all like passion. Oh, they're full of antioxidants. Oh, yeah. I get a lift to 150, mate. John, the research has been done. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just all health related. Um, All these things I love with a passion. And so that makes me susceptible to those models. So you're looking for someone who has, like there's an example in the book from a a guy who built a a surprise box model called BarkBox and it was curated dog toys. So every month they would ship you like new dog toys. And and the way he described his customers is not dog owners, but dog parents to dog parents, like a dog mom and dad to illustrate just like another level of affinity for and passion for their animal. And so he said, no, we don't sell the dog owners. We sell the dog parents. And that was a, a nice little shortcut for him. Yeah, I like that. That's looking at your that's looking at your prospects and your current customers and going, who who are the real nutters in this group? Who are the ones that, you know, take the whole passion for their pet or their car or whatever it is to a whole new level? Because they're the ones Absolutely. that are gonna have they're the ones that are gonna open their wallet first and go, Yeah, bring bring yeah. that on. Bring bring a bunch of curated dog toys from around the world to me each month. I mean <laughs> Yeah, exactly. The simplifier model, John. Yeah, service contracts. So, I mean, we just had a, a swimming pool installed at our home here, and so they swimming pool company. You, wrote, you know, we wrote a big check for them to dig the hole and so forth. But then, every two weeks, they come back on a service contract to you know rebalance the salt and stuff like that. That's just a simple model where. The, the key insight, the consumer insight here is people can feel a bit squeamish about selling a recurring revenue model. Like, oh, it's going to feel a bit dirty if I, if I ask them to be a customer for life. They've just written this big check to, to install a swimming pool. How can I go back and say, would you, you, know, would you like me to come and re- rebalance the salt every couple of weeks? Here's the thing. 
for most of us as consumers, it's a to-do item off our list. And that is a benefit to both you as a business owner, but equally it's a benefit to your customer, right? For them not to have to worry about, oh, I got to call the pool company to come. The insight behind this simplifier model is that it's, it's way better for you as a business owner, but it's actually simple for your customer to buy on a service contract. The network model. Yeah, I mean, anyone who's used a cell phone knows the network model, right? If in the old days, when, when like three people had a cell phone, they weren't actually that practical. But as cell phones became proliferated, the more people got a cell phone, the more benefit they became. It's the same, uh, you, you know, of any sort of new technology, uh, you know, World of Warcraft, some of these multiplayer games, they're interesting if you play them by themselves, but when you get more people involved in your social network, they become more enjoyable. And so these are subscription models where the more people who opt in, the more value for everybody. And the, the key insight here is because the more people who opt in, the more value they have, oftentimes they grow astronomically through word of mouth. So if you know World of Warcraft, it's a video game that some, some people play. Again, it's a multiplayer game, so the more people who play, the more benefit it is. And that's how they've grown it so quickly is through that word of mouth. So that's the real, that's the real insight behind the network model. And your last subscription model, John, is the peace of mind model. I like the sound of this one. Yeah, it's really where you sell some form of insurance. So let's go back to my roofing example. Like as a homeowner, you only need a roof every 25 years. But you might sign up for uh, a $50 a month program, which includes a service where the roofer comes every six months and checks the quality of the, the, the whatever roofers do, the, the tiles and so forth, <laughs> yeah, yeah, make yeah. sure the eaves troughs are snug or whatever. And if there were to be an issue with the roof, if you were to lose a tile, for example, they would come replace it at their cost. So it's effectively an insurance. But again, you ask, well, why would you do that? Again, when you've got that recurring relationship, the roofer comes once a year, once every eight, you know, 12 weeks, whatever, that makes them much more likely to buy from you again. And why does HP have ink cartridge subscriptions when the HP printer is like 500 bucks and the ink cartridge subscription might be 10 or $20 a month? It's because once you're a subscriber to the ink cartridges, you're way more likely to buy your next printer from HP. Mm. Yeah, in fact, I would have thought, and it, it would appear that way, I haven't bought a printer for a while, but surely there'll come a time when they give away printers because there's no money in selling the hardware. The money's in the recurring subscription of the cartridges. So. I'll give you another example is haircuts. Uh, a company yes. in Seattle does subscription-based haircuts. Oh. Now, I don't know about you, but I probably get my haircut once every, I don't know, five or six weeks. But the back of my neck gets a little ratty every three weeks. <laughs> 100%. It's kind of, right? I don't want to go to a, like a hair, like I don't want to go to a barber just to get my, the back of my neck shaved, but it looks kind of like a forest back there. So what they say is, look, <laughs> subscription-based haircuts. It's once a year, you pay six, 700 bucks a year. You come in anytime you want. We'll, we'll give you a little trim. We'll clean up your back of your neck. We'll give you a, a, a shave if you want. It's all included all the time. And they lock in their customer's loyalty for a year. And if, you, if you're like me and travel a little bit after the pandemic, hopefully I'll get back to it. But sometimes I'll, I'll nip into a barbershop in another city, right? But if I'm a subscriber, I'm less likely to do that because I'm, I know I've already kind of prepaid for a haircut. So you're locking in your customer's loyalty, uh, in, in some cases years into the, in advance. And um, oh. I, I just think it's simpler and much more fun for the, uh, uh, for the consumer as well. Mate, I'm ex so excited by this conversation, John, because it opens up a whole new world to so many because it, this is not new stuff. We have been paying for gym memberships, telephone memberships, ISP memberships. You know, the, this is not new. But what it felt like prior to speaking to you was that that was the realm of the corporate. The corporates do memberships. We give them our money. We hand over our credit cards. They come after us if we don't pay and they're going to come after. You know, that just feels like corporate land. But I love how going through those nine subscription models, they are so relevant and so applicable to the smallest of businesses. And you've proved that through car washing, you know, or, or barbers. And I think here's the thing. I think every small business right now is competing with Amazon. 
whether they know it or not, Amazon is coming for your industry, right? And 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 that's not meant as a criticism of Amazon. It's just their their business strategy, right? And so they've got Amazon Prime, and they will sell you a subscription to just about anything. So what you've got to do is innovate. Being the local provider is no longer differentiating in a world of Amazon and, and, and so forth. So you've got to, again, in the surprise box model, it's not good enough to just put a bunch of Cadbury's chocolate in a basket and sell it to chocolate lovers. You've got to curate, add value, find really unique chocolate from all around the world. That's the added value. Uh, I think it's, it's, uh, it's becoming even more important for small businesses uh, to, to adopt this model because it's... Uh, you know, for the reasons we talked about already. And I love, you're a global citizen, John. You could have easily said Hershey. I don't know what the Canadian chocolate brand is, but the fact that you <laughs> you highlighted Cadbury, you know, you're a friend of the show. Thank you. Can we come back? We all love Cadbury over here. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, John, we've spoken a lot about um, membership models in a kind of weekly or monthly context as the as the recurring payment cadence. Um, it, uh, lifetime memberships, are they worth considering or are they just, uh, are they just trouble? You know, they're, they're veiled transaction models, really. Like in a membership model, you say, oh, you get a lifetime membership. Well, you're just basically giving uh, uh, access to your product for in perpetuity. And so they do become trouble. They become trouble for a few reasons. Number one, how are you going to support them? Number two, you, you run into the situation, if you ever want to transfer that business to uh, someone who wants to buy it, they are basically inheriting a liability. Like you promised that customer that they can have access to that product, that service for life. And it is an obligation the company has. And so when you want to sell that company down the road, a lot of people will discount or even walk away from buying that business because that liability is there. So I'm not a fan of the lifetime membership. I I don't think it's, uh, I just think who knows what next year is going to bring, let alone 10 years down the road. I just think that's <laughs> yeah, better. 100%. Yeah. John, the psychology of selling a subscription model, because I'm, I'm hoping right now there's a whole lot of listeners going, yeah, this can work for me. Um, I understand it from my, my, the business owner's point of view. It's bringing cash forward. It's reducing risk. I know what I'm up against. But selling it to a customer who is used to paying a transactional model, which is, you know, here's money, here's my, here's the product or service, happy days, I'll see you next time I need it. There's a psychology there that I would have thought, oh, it's like, oh, I've got to have my credit card over, they're going to charge me every month whether I use it or not, it's going to be hard to cancel some of these SaaS products, you know, trying to cancel some of these SaaS products that online stuff is like, it's a nightmare. So what is the psychology? Is there a particular insight that you can give us into selling a subscription model, whether it be to B2B B2 or B2C? Yeah, I think you've highlighted something called subscription fatigue, and we've all felt it, right? We've all struggled to cancel the gym membership with a SaaS product, and I think that is a you know bad actors in the space making it bad for everybody. And I no way advocate for yeah for that. I think you got to give people a, a, an easy way to, to cancel if they want. But it is a real thing. Subscription fatigue. Uh, you know, you get your Amex bill, your Visa bill, and it, like like as soon as it goes to like five pages, you know you've hit subscription fatigue, right? Where you've just got you know, page after page of like $9 yeah, yeah. a month or whatever. And it, and it adds up and you forget. So it's a thing. So I think in order to combat subscription fatigue, I think you want to be thinking 10X versus 10%. And what I mean by that is that a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to sell a subscription and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do pool cleaning on subscription and, you know, my pool key- cleaning costs $100 a month and I'm going to do it for 12 months. So I'm going to, do uh, $1,200 minus 10%. Nobody's going to subscribe for that service. You know, our flexibility, our freedom is too valuable to us. We consider that too precious. But if you were to say it's a 10x value proposition, it's 10 times more valuable. And I think if you look at something like a Netflix, you could see how they made that case, right? At the time, subscribing to cable in North America was probably $100 and $150 a month for all that for all the channels you hardly ever use. And they came around and said, well, for seven bucks, now I think it's nine bucks, you can have pretty much all the content you could ever consume in a lifetime. That's a 10x type of offering. And, and I think that's what you need to get to. And again, you might be saying, well, how would I make that work economically? Remember that when you have a subscription model, you're, you're really being measured, instead of what you get from them every month, you're measured on the lifetime value of your subscriber. 
at H. Bloom, to go back to the flower store, for example, typical transaction in the flower store is around 50 bucks. I know for you it's probably like 300 because you're... Hey, you're, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you're a gentleman. <laughs> I love, I love struck Romeo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but typical flower store purchases around 50 bucks. At H. Bloom, the average lifetime value of a subscriber is more than $4,500. So they make one sale and they capture $4,500 worth of value. And so when you're thinking about 10X and how am I gonna make this like really valuable, remember that your cost of acquisition is nil once they buy from you, once they subscribe from you. And so you could afford to pack in way more than you're probably anticipating when you're looking at a $4,500 relationship in the case of H. Bloom. And it changes the economics of the business overall. It changes what the value, what you can include in the value proposition. People say like, how does Netflix get away with all that content for seven bucks? Well, first of all, they've got tens of millions of subscribers, probably hundreds of millions of subscribers. But they've also got that lifetime value of the subscriber to monetize. And that's one of the key pieces here. So keep in mind that you're looking at the lifetime value of your subscriber. And it also enables you to change business models. I mean, most flower store owners can never hire people because they can't afford to hire people. So the owner is the one who's making the bouquets, is there seven days a week, is, is kind of stuck in the business. Whereas at H. Bloom, they can hire salespeople who get in their car and drive to hotels and say, hey, would you like to have a subscription? And the reason they can afford that as a cost of sale is because they know they're going to capture $4,500 worth of value. So again, it just changes all of the economics of your business. We talked. Uh, we touched on customer churn. I know in your book you give eight reasons or eight, eight strategies, I should say, to avoid customer churn. We won't go into all of them at the moment. But you've talked about like constantly adding value to a subscription-based mm-hmm. business. You've talked about the idea of you. There's a there's a value you attach to the pain that the subscription model removes. So there's and if you continue to remove that pain, then customer churn is going to be low. Just a couple more ways, John, because if people are going to go and launch into a subscription model business as a result of listening to this, the last thing I want them to do is go, oh, I did it in 30 days, it was awesome, but on day 31 they all started pulling out. How do you avoid that? Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, let, let's let's be clear. You have to have a product that fits, a, you know, need fills a need. So if your if your product does not uh, fit a great need, have an ongoing need, then clearly your people aren't going to use it, and that's the number one driver of, of of churn is that they just stop using the the service. So I'm 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 going to assume that you've got a great product or a great offering that people value. Uh, so that's important. You know, customer success is an emerging field, and what it means is that if you've ever subscribe to anything from a software company or all all kinds of different models use customer success representatives. But these are people whose job is to make sure you use your subscription effectively. So hiring customer success people is a way to drive usage and that can be helpful. The other thing is treating your relationship with a subscriber with an air of romance. What do I mean by that? I mean, you know, if you think about a subscription it is a relationship. It's not a one-off transaction. You're 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 getting engaged effectively, right? It's not a one-night stand. You are you are committing to a longer-term relationship, even a monogamous relationship, right? Like I'm going to buy from you, and I'm not going to buy from somebody else. In the case of the haircut guy, right? And and I think at the at the core, going back to psychology. It is a relationship. And so you think about what makes a relationship vibrant and long-lasting. It is trickling in a little spontaneity now and again, right? And not taking the other side for granted. Ah, yeah, yeah. And so my favorite example of this is from BarkBox. BarkBox was the example, the, the company that does the stuffed animals for toys and the dog parrots. They have a team of people who look for spontaneous ways to thank and honor their subscribers. It's a team of individuals. And they look at the social media feeds of their subscribers. They look at all kinds of different sources of information to identify where they could step in and add value. And so a classic example is when they learned about a dog passing away. If you've ever owned a dog, you know that it's kind of, it's, it, it's traumatic. It doesn't, as a non-dog owner, you think like, what's the big deal? Dog dies, you get another dog. But if you own a dog and you've had a dog in your life for years, it's a, it's like, it's a very traumatic experience. And so 
they will notice that one of their subscribers has lost their dog and they will go out of their way to reach out to that subscriber. Oftentimes they learn about a new dog. They set up a new curated package just for the new dog with like a dog bone that has their name and and the wrapping paper. And these are the kind of things they do in order to, um, uh, to add a little spontaneity to the relationship. So I think to wow, it's that's what they're doing. They're wowing. And, and that, you know, there's a whole. I love the wow strategy. You know, wowing your customers. Um, uh, you know, the late Tony Shea was a genius at this with delivering happiness and being able to actually, you know, it's actually a really interesting question and one for another time. But to say how how can I wow my customers? Whether you've got a subscription model or not, it ain't done enough. So, it's a it's a great yeah, example, it, John. It, it is. I agree with you. Wow is important in every kind of business, and it just takes on a, a heightened level of of requirement in a subscription relationship because anyone who's in a long-term relationship, you know you can kind of take each other for granted after a while, right? And just that little spontaneity, doing something different, just a small card on the on the bookshelf at night or, or a, bringing somebody an unexpected gift or something. It doesn't have to be big, but this is the spontaneity and it just acknowledges this is a relationship, right? And and it's, it's more than just a transaction. And I think that's important. John, do you have a favourite subscription model that you've come across? Not not in actually the model itself, but a business that's offering oh, some kind of. I heard recently model. about a dental practice, and they're offering cleaning services on subscription, and their unique value proposition is: look, this 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 hour in the day between seven thirty and eight thirty in the morning is when we get a ton of people, right? It's where everybody wants, they want to get their teeth clean for work, before work, they don't want to, to interrupt their work day. This is the window that they're always oversubscribed for, right? And so they said, all right, if you want to sign up for our subscriber, you know, subscription program, you get priority access to the 730 to 830 time slot. We'll reserve that just for our subscribers. I think that's a cool little model. Again, dental practice. Who would have ever thought you could subscribe to your dentist? But... That's another example of a Main Street. That is genius. You know, bricks and border. Business. Love it. Yeah. John, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I love conversations that sort of, you know, break us uh, into thinking into new ways of charging customers and building a business and not, That's you know, awesome. doing the same thing over and over that's kind of, oh, you know, you, what do they say? You do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. So you've opened our minds. Thanks, buddy. And um, people can, I would encourage people to buy the automatic customer. Um, from your favourite bookshop if you have one locally, but if not, then then get online. And John, you've written some pretty amazing books. The other one I know, Built to Sell. I'd love to have you back on the show at some point if you're up for it. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, love to do it. Love to do it. I mean, we talked a lot about the subscription models. If people go, we put together a little URL for you, builttosell.com slash Tim. And there, it's like there's a worksheet there uh, and a checklist of the nine subscription models so people can download it. It's free. It's, it's uh, just built to sell.com slash Tim. That is awesome. I'm part of the John Warrillow domain. <laughs> <laughs> I've made it. You've got your own page, man. <laughs> well, there you go, team. Globally famous business author John Warrillow. What a solid bloke. I do love a guest that gives really accessible examples and case studies of the ideas that they share, and John did that in spades. Be sure to head over to builttosell.com forward slash Tim, where John's kindly uploaded three handouts, including his subscription models ebook. That said, you know what I'd do if I were you? I would buy The Automatic Customer. It is such a good book. It's so easy to read. And like I said, just full of really accessible case studies of businesses, you know, that might just be like yours. Your mind will be blown. Mine was. Here's my top three attention grabbers from that chat with John. Attention grabber number one. I love the fact that a subscription model strategy can not only work for any type of business in any type of industry, but that once implemented successfully can add massive value to your business when it comes time to sell it. John's written another book called Built to Sell. You might have heard about it, and I'm going to get him back on to talk about that at a later stage. But imagine setting your business up so that you, you know, make the most money when it does come time to sell. And a subscription-based model can do that. Attention grabber number two. I love the idea of, at the very least, giving some consideration to which customer segment in your business 
could you develop a subscription model for? As John said, you don't have to boil the whole ocean. <laughs> I love that phrase. You just need to find a small subset of customers like H. Bloom did with five-star hotels. What a great case study that was. And attention grabber number three. I love the idea of creating wow moments to minimise customer churn, or as John put it, to sprinkle in a little bit of spontaneity every now and then, like the guys at BarkBox do. I love the whole idea of customer wow. We've talked about it in past episodes, in particular the one with uh, Josh Nichols from Platinum Electricians. He's got that 21-step customer manifesto that makes them go wow every step of the way. I'll put a link in the show notes over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 563. That's what grabbed my attention. I would love to know what grabbed yours. Please pick the phone up. Give me a buzz. 0480 015150. I promise I won't answer, but you will have the ability to leave up to a five-minute message, just like listener Rory did. Timbo, it's Rory Mills from RM Bodybuilding here in Sydney. Now, look, I know what you're thinking. We're probably another gym company. Mate, that's not the way it is. RM Bodybuilding is a small business based around vehicle bodybuilding, which means we do signage, vehicle accessories, custom storage and 12-volt solutions. Look, we are based around tradies, but in saying that, from listening to your podcast, you've taught me not to just niche that. We do expand a little bit, but, mate, just want to give you a big wrap for putting on a good podcast for so long. Feels a bit funny calling up after listening to so many people, but, mate, thanks for doing it. I've learned many tasks. I'm up to date at the moment. Just work back. That's right. I'm working back now to your older podcast. Just hit 101 with Fit fit Dad Life. Thought that was really good. Got a few notes from that. And that'll be awesome to push into the business. Mate, thank you. Have a good one and keep up the good work. You're a legend. Thanks, Tim. I'm a legend. (laughs) Wow, Rory. They're big words, and I thank you very much for them, buddy. And yeah, that Fit Dad Lifestyle episode with Leroy Four uh, was all about how to build a community, and it was fantastic. So if anyone is looking to do that, then that's the episode to listen to, along with my recent chat with Andrew Griffiths, who also gave some great insights and tips into how to build and nurture a community. I'll put links over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 563. Rory, You're a legend, mate. Thank you so much for making the effort to ring the hotline. Everyone else, please do so. 0480 015 150. Leave me a message. That almost brings us to the end of episode 563. Next week, we hear from a world-leading confidence coach. Ah, It's a nice little niche who's had to jump through some pretty significant personal hurdles to get to where she is today. And she's going to share a couple of things, not only her amazing business journey, but how she made $400,000 from Instagram in the past few months during COVID, plus how she's built a six-figure business from scratch during this god-awful pandemic. Hey, if you haven't already, be sure to grab a copy of The Boomerang Effect over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. That is my little book to you on how you can create helpful marketing and why you should. Uh, If you're loving the Small Business Big Marketing podcast, you'll find 562 more episodes on your favourite podcast app. And as usual, this podcast was presented by me, Timbo Reid. The music bed bashed together by Roger Waters, keyboard player and past guest, Lockie Dolly. Oh, I like dropping a name or two there. And somehow producer Romy Scher makes this podcast sound half decent. Thank you, Romy. Until next time, team. Thank you so much for tuning in. May your marketing be the best marketing. Bye for now.